0: You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show.
1: I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey.
0: Welcome one, welcome all to another Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, as every week, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It's April 15th, and I've got a great show for you this week. First, let me talk about my day as per usual. I started the day... Deciding I'm going to brew two batches of beer. I've sort of been derelict in my beer-making duties as of late. And by way of catching up, I don't know why I say catching up. It's not like I'm in a race or anything. Uh, But it is certainly that idea that I want to have good beer to drink. It's gotten to the point where I don't even want to buy beer. Ever. Because what I create, I personally think tastes better than anything I could buy anyway. Uh, Certainly in the styles that I'm I'm looking for. Uh, Primarily Pilsner, but occasionally a Belgian white. So, I don't know. I just don't want to go out and buy it, so I I want to make sure that I always have sort of a a running stock. Plus, when I get together with people, uh, you know, I want to be able to share something that I do, something that I love, and that's making beer and Satanism and art and podcasting, and sex. And of all of those, the one that's easiest to bring out first... That's right, beer. I thought—I know you thought I was going to say sex, but no, 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 I don't whip it out. <laughs> Not as often as I think I should, <laughs> which is probably better for me, uh, considering I'd probably be thrown in jail. But, uh, okay, so I brewed a batch, posted a couple photos... Um, and decided, you know what, I'm just going to do another one. So I did a back-to-back, and I've never done that before. It was a little bit more time-consuming, which isn't really the big deal. But And this sort of goes with any creative expression one does. And certainly, I think cooking or creating consumable something falls in line with that. So I, you know, I, I, I just assume, like, chefs are gonna feel the same way when I create something it's a lot like uh, hosting a party for example I put so much of my own energy into it that I'm exhausted when I'm finished uh, it could be like uh, you know just having a dinner party and you are turned on the whole night meaning uh, you know your personality is switch to on, rather than just, you know, whatever your personality might normally be. And for me, it's it's kind of down. Um, not meaning to press or anything, just, you know, not on. I don't like to be turned on in that manner <laughs> all the time. Uh, and though, for this podcast, I'm genuinely turned on most of the time, uh, in both ways. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you understand what I'm saying here. So I do the first batch and I'm just exhausted. like I, I put so much energy into it. I'm constantly paying attention. I don't want it to overflow. I'm constantly stirring it. I'm just really putting myself into it. and then to do it again, um, give me 10 minutes baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I need a, a little bit of recoup time before I go again. <laughs> I didn't have the recoup time. Uh, I fought through it, though. Here, here. Pound my chest and uh, reach to this guy for whatever the fuck that means. Um, okay, and then uh, Storm from Art on You Studios came over, and next week I'm going to be airing the interview that we conducted this week about it. But, uh, yeah, another Inkathon. Pretty exciting stuff. Storm is one of those uh, gems. He's, he's a good man, and he's a lot of fun to talk to, and uh, uh, I don't know. It, it was a lot of fun. It was It was good times. So look forward to that next week, however this week ooh, do I got some good stuff for you and I think personally, the height of this entire episode is going to be my conversation with Jack Donovan with his book, The Way of Men this book is badass, you have to go out there and pick it up now when I grabbed it, and certainly when I had uh, him for the interview the Kindle version was only available, but now I believe you can get it on every way, uh, be it the nook, or a physical copy, or, you know, whatever. Certainly pick it up, and if you're a man, pick it up. You must read this book. Uh, let's talk about the show here. So that's going to be the Creature Feature segment at the end, the second half of this show. Infernal Informant, we're going to go backwards this time, uh, Latin America rebel, <laughs> rebels, rebels against Obama over Cuba, and... Israel arrests pro-Palestinian activists, bans dozens from entry. And in The Devil's Advocate, I'm actually going to be starting with this, crazy enough, Idle Pleasures. This is an uh, essay that Magus Peter H. Gilmore wrote in his compilation, The Satanic Scriptures. Amazing book, fantastic essay, I'm going to give you my take on it. And that's going to be the entirety of the show. So please, I hope you're going to stick around. I am probably going to be throwing together a Bizarre of the Bizarre... Because I have something I really, really want to rant about. It's food related. And, uh... Yeah, I, I'm going to try to squeeze it in. So I might have to cut some of these other segments short. But, uh... I'm going, to, I'm going to try to get it in there. So, uh... I hope you enjoy the show. And for for those of you who won... I am getting those uh, signed copies of Gyps Fulvis' album out there. I'm sorry this weekend I was really pressed... Tomorrow I will be sending them out, and uh, I'm waiting on one of you to give me an address, so come on, man, don't disappoint. It's free shit. Come get some. Uh, Send me your address, you know. And, uh, alright, well, I'm going to stop ranting. Let's dive right into The Devil's Advocate.
2: Say, why bother? How'd you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity? You feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old neck in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all.
0: In this devil's advocate, we are talking about idle pleasures, and this is uh, like I mentioned at the top in the satanic scriptures by Pierre H. Gilmore. The essay itself speaks to uh, uh, sort of that idea of of monster movies, identifying yourself with monsters, and then um, sort of being forced to recreate those experiences with uh, like um, figurines that you had to make yourself or uh, you had to you know rarely find and how even those um, and this is really just touched on at the very end of the article can sort of aid to your ritual workings I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of idle pleasures uh, meaning identifying and that's really this is really the basis of the article as I interpret it, identifying with those monsters of cinema um, or folklore. I, I grew up in, in what I would like to think is a regular American household, um, but I was immediately steeped into horror, uh, I don't know, uh, cinema culture. So my sister was a huge fan of horror movies and so i would and, and this is something i've spoken to in the past certainly um but one of my earliest childhood heroes was freddy krueger uh i don't i just thought he was badass and i really loved his movies uh yeah, certainly it was just something i mean the first poster i ever owned was uh freddy's revenge um Actually, it was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street number two. I think that was Fray's Revenge, but I could be wrong. Anyway, I mean, as far as the movie goes, it was terrible. It was horribly homoerotic and <laughs> really just poorly put together. But I was more carrying the weight of the first movie as far as the, the, the terror of it all. And it was that idea that I identified with um, this really horrible character this monster, the darkness, the the, the evil in humanity, more than I connected with what my mom would have loved, um, this sort of Jesus Christ Joseph Smith character that she had tried to force down my throat. I mean, I was was watching and enjoying Dracula um, on TV, these black and white versions of Dracula, from uh like Hammer films i, w- I was watching uh Frankenstein uh, i was i was really obsessed with um uh, werewolves for some reason there was this short-run tv series about werewolves on uh one of the network stations and i just became absolutely obsessed with the idea that We were all creatures, and (laughs) who would know? Uh, But, you know, it's the truth. That's what we are. And it's that idea that... Sorry, my cell phone was close to the speakers there. Uh, It was that idea that we... My first connection, real connection with something that wasn't physically in front of me, was with the darkness. I mean, there would come times later in my life where... Um, and I think this is a similar story to virtually anyone who calls themselves a Satanist Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that darkness but certainly that outcast the opposite um, the scapegoat as it were Uh, I mean one of my most informable moments was holding a private ritual before I really knew anything about anything Um, and uh, Johann Sebastian Boxtecata and Few was playing, and uh, I, I was facing uh, the interior of my room with my back close to uh, the southern wall, and I just imagined uh, this Satan figure, this demon, this, this, this Prince of Hell character, walking up. And much like in Nightmare on Elm Street, when Freddy Krueger reaches and sort of forces the wall to bend inward during a dream of one of Nancy's dreams, I imagine that right behind me. And for me, a defining moment was that I backed up into the wall as if I, you know, just flatly saying, I am not afraid of what everyone else is afraid of I am a part of what everyone else is afraid of I am a part of the darkness I am a creature like you and that has always been sort of a recurring theme with me not only in ritual but in my self identity is that I am a part of of that mythical darkness, that that evil, that creature, that is how I identify with the world around me. And and certainly that's how I interact with it. I think what Peter H. Gilmore was speaking to was that not only the passion from those movies that helped identify that feeling that I was exhibiting, um, and maybe even a little bit of that obsession that's involved with it, but certainly that connection. And and I've touched on this before. We all come to Satanism in our own way. But it is that shared connection. Um, uh, that idea that we are the Satan. The power. The, the opposing force of dogmatic idiocy. Uh, we are our own gods. And we will not let anyone take that away from us I mean that's who we are that's the the strength that I draw on at times and I found that first in horror cinema I I will always have a a very very close place in my heart a warm place in my heart for those monsters the Frankensteins the werewolves the uh, Draculas and the Freddy Krueger's. <laughs> Let's move on to Infernal Informant. Listen up! Listen up! Tell you out there. Good news! There's no devil! Bad news! Else no heaven there's nothing to see. I'm your Infernal Informant. Alright, this is Reuters article Latin America Rebels Against Obama over Cuba. Let's see, this is by Andrew Cawthorn and Brian Ellsworth, uh, posted today, Sunday, April 15th. Unprecedented Latin America opposition to U.S. sanctions on Cuba left President Barack Obama isolated at a summit on Sunday and illustrated Washington's declining influence in a region being aggressively courted by China. Unlike the rock star status he enjoyed in the 2009 Summit of the Americas after taking office, Obama has had a bruising time at the two-day meeting in Colombia of some 30 heads of state. Sixteen U.S. security personnel were caught in an embarrassing prostitution scandal before Obama arrived. Brazil and others have bashed Obama over U.S. monetary policy, and he had been in the defensive over Cuba and caused to legalize drugs. Due to the hostile U.S. and Canadian line on communist-run Cuba, the heads of state failed to produce a final declaration as the summit fizzled out on Sunday afternoon. Quote, there was no declaration because there was no consensus, end quote, said Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos. He bristled at suggestions the summit had been a failure, however, saying the exchange of different views was a sign of democratic health. For the first time, conservative led U.S. allies like Mexico and Colombia are throwing their weight behind the traditional demand of leftist governments that Cuba be invited to the next summit of the Americas. Cuba was kicked out of the Organization of the America States, OAS, a few years after Fidel Castro's 1959 revolution, and has been kept out of its summits due mainly to U.S. opposition. But Latin America leaders are increasingly militant in opposing both Cuba's exclusion and the 50-year-old U.S. trade embargo on the Caribbean island. The isolation, the embargo, the indifference, looking the other way, has been ineffective, Santos said. I hope Cuba is at the next summit in three years. Santos, a major U.S. ally in the region who has relied on Washington for financial and military help to fight guerrillas and drug traffickers, has become vocal about Cuba's inclusion, even though he also advocates for democratic reform of by Havana. Clinton parties in Cafe Havana. In an ironic twist to the debate, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton went dancing in the early hours of Sunday at the Cartagena bar called Cafe Havana, where Cuban music was played. Argentina President Cristina Fernandez, who has insisted without success that Washington recognize its claim to the Falkland Islands, controlled by Britain, was one of the several presidents who left the summit well before its official closure. She missed a verbal gaffe by Obama, who referred to the Madeves instead of the Malvinas when using the name Latin Americans give to the disputed islands. Leftist Alba, Block of nations including Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and some Caribbean nations said they will not attempt future summits without Cuba's presence. It's not a favor anyone would be doing to Cuba. It's a right they've taken away from them, Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega said from Manuaga, <laughs> Managua, <laughs> although there were widespread hopes for a Reproachment with Cuba under Obama when he took office, Washington has done little beyond ease some travel restrictions. It insists Cuba must first make changes, including the release of political prisoners. I love how, just jumping in here, how we make demands on other countries to even acknowledge that they exist. And it is that weird that we, on one hand, say we will not acknowledge your right to a sovereign state unless you do what we want you to do all the while boycotting you in a manner consistent with acknowledging you as a state (laughs) we will not acknowledge you as a state but you cannot go to said state (laughs) and Cuba really this was a huge tourist attraction in the 40s huge in the 50s huge! And it wasn't until we decided, well, we don't so much like uh, what Castro's doing. Okay, you know what? You don't want communism? Fine, that's not a big deal. But understand that there are economic repercussions. And the Cubans have been feeling it since we started them. And at this point in our society, I mean, if we're trading openly with China? China? The biggest communist country in the freaking world? Why are we excluding Cuba? We have huge, huge produce options there. Let's not be stupid. I mean, yes, it was nice that Obama lifted the, the the travel restrictions, but really, there shouldn't be any restrictions at all. We are all grown-ups. If we want to go to a communist country, we're going to go to a communist country. To visit, to party, to whatever. You're stupid... Uh, uh, Restrictions are not going to stop that. We as Americans, we are so arrogant. And you know what? I get it on some level. I do. Shit, I'm one of them. (laughs) But when it becomes counterproductive, hey, with Satanism, this is all we live in here. Counterproductive anything. Well, it's counterproductive. Pride. Embargoes. Whatever. (laughs) The moment your pride gets in the way and whatever you're doing loses meaning and it just means you're trying to save face to yourself when no one else really gives a damn, well, you know what? Responsibility is responsible. Realize that you're wrong. Step up. Admit it. Be a man. Or a world-leading nation. (laughs) And move on. All right, so... Uh, Let's talk about this prostitution scandal, shall we? The prostitution saga was a big embarrassment for Obama and a blow to the prestige of its Secret Service, the agency that provides security for U.S. presidents. It is the talk of the town in the historic Caribbean coastal city of Cartagena. You know, first of all, let me quickly say this. The only reason why I know how to say Cartagena, can anyone guess? Anyone? You, in the back. That's right, romancing the stone. (laughs) The only (laughs) reason—my entire exposure to Cartagena was from the movie *Romancing the Stone*, which, if you haven't seen, you should totally see it because it's a pretty fun adventure. (laughs) But it's just sort of absurd. Like I would—I would be struggling with this. I'd be at Cartagena (laughs) if it wasn't for that show. Um, okay, so let's see. 11 Secret Service agents were sent home and five military servicemen grounded after trying to take prostitutes back to the hotel the day before Obama arrived. Isn't that sort of a perk? Like, I don't. How how is that a scandal? These are Secret Service agents. They don't get a lot of alone time. And if they get to scout out an area before the president's even there, and they can get a little tail in the process, eh, I don't... I don't have a problem with that. But then I'm sort of, uh, you know, I, I I like my presidents like I like my 1950s. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Let them happen more than one as long as they're discreet about it. <laughs> I know that's not fair to you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, we've had presidents who have had women uh, ad nauseum. Why not the Secret Service agents too? I mean, why are we really going to freak out about this? Scandal? I don't know. I got air quotes floating on that scandal part here. Obama said in general, his security personnel did an extraordinary job under stressful circumstances. They got to relieve the stress somehow. (laughs) But he would be annoyed if the allegations were proven by an investigation. Really annoyed? Barack? Barack, look at me. Come on. You're not annoyed. This is one of those things you say, and and you can always tell because the the language he uses. Oh, I'll be annoyed if the allegations are proven. Who fucking cares? I mean, they were in a place that supports uh, a legal expression of the oldest job in the world. Uh, let them do their thing, man, and don't. I don't even. I would feel better about President Obama. You know, I'll tell you what. If I would guarantee a vote for this man. And I can't do that right now. But if he would have said this. uh, I'm sorry, my secret service agents hired prostitutes? Who fucking cares? Like, as long as they're on duty when I'm here, who cares? Because they're not on duty until he's there. So it's their personal lives. So who cares? Like, if you would just be honest about it, I would be so much more behind you in theory and practice than I am right now. I'm not necessarily against you, but I'm not too happy with what you've been doing. So, maybe this would be an option for you to step up. Say, hey, you know what? Prostitutes, willing prostitutes, okay? I'm not talking about those slave trafficking things you see in the movies. But, like, willing prostitutes who uh, are, you know, controlling their lives. What's the big deal? Who cares? They're all adults. You don't like it? Don't pay them. Don't hire them. (laughs) It is so cut and clear and obvious. However, he goes on. We represent the people of the United States, and when we travel to another country, I expect them to observe the highest standards. Because apparently having sex with women who want you to pay them to have sex with them is not a high standard, even though in some places in America that's okay but I guess it's not when you go to other countries? Is that it, Mr. Obama? Uh, He says, If it turns out that some of the allegations that have been made in the press are confirmed, then of course, I will be angry. Will ya? Really? I don't think you will be. And I'm not just saying that because the culture that you sort of come from is kind of okay with fucking around on women. Let's just say the African-American community isn't exactly the most monogamous. And that's putting it really nicely. So let's say you're going to claim to have African-American heritage. Don't come up on us as if you're some paragon of morality. Because let me tell you something. You're not. I mean, you may be. Congratulations. I'm happy. I got to tell you, Michelle Obama's... Honestly, in my opinion, a very attractive woman. Uh, I, and it's sort of, you know, that joke that, uh, um, (laughs) when I had the old Nick interview, um, Bob Johnson, Master Bob Johnson said, he said, uh, uh, well, I'm going to paraphrase it here, Uh, every, with every beautiful woman, uh, there's a man tired of fucking her. Okay, that's crass, way of me to put it, but it's a reality. So he, maybe even Obama gets a little tired of uh, Mrs. Obama. You know what I mean? And maybe if he would have went a little day early, huh, who knows? Maybe uh, Cuba would have had a better turnout. <laughs> a local policeman told Reuters the affair came to a head when the hotel staff tried to register a prostitute at the front desk, but agents refused and waived their ID cards. Ugh, oh, jeez. Locals were unimpressed and upset At the negative headlines, someone who's charged with looking after the security of the most important president in the world cannot commit the mistake of getting mixed up with a prostitute. What? Said Cartagena tourist guide, Rudolfo Galvez, 60. Well, Rudolfo, let me tell you something. Uh, Someone who's charged with looking after the security of the most important president in the world needs to have the stress cut from their lives. And I can't think of a better way. And with a little lovin'. That's right. It's all about love, baby. Let them get their lovin' so they're less stressed and more. Their heads are clear. They can be. Their heads can be focused at the game. That's all I'm saying. All right? Let them get the the, the poison out of the building. (laughs) This has damaged the image of the Secret Service, not Columbia. Well, that's a lie. The divisive end of the summit added to strain in the U.S.-dominated system of hemispheric diplomacy that was built around the OAS, but is struggling to adapt to changes in the region. I'm not sure the next summit will even be possible," said Carlos Gaviria a Colombian politician and former presidential candidate. Perceived U.S. neglect of Latin America has allowed China to move strongly into the region and become the leading trade partner of Brazil and various other nations. Regional economic powerhouse Brazil has led criticism at the summit of the U.S. and other rich nations' expansionist monetary policy that is sending a flood of funds into developing nations, forcing up local currencies and hurting competitiveness. Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff, Called it a monetary tsunami the Latin American nations had the right to defend themselves from. Cheering the mood a bit, U.S. trade representatives Ron Kirk announced that a U.S. Columbia free trade agreement will come into force in the middle of May. With the presidential election looming, excuse me, Obama had portrayed his visit to the summit as a way to generate jobs at home by boosting trade with Latin America. That's the end of the article, and I have to continue saying, uh, no? I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> Maybe, uh, the trade was supposed to be prostitutes, because if that's the case, I think you might have something. Uh, I'm not saying there's a ton of women that want to go into prostitution, but certainly there have to be some. I mean, let's be real. There have to be some. And with every one, there's going to be at least 10 guys willing to pay her. No matter what. Because no matter the beautiful woman, there's someone tired of having sex with her. (laughs) That sounds chauvinistic, but it's true. So, uh, next article here. I'm going to get some hate mail for that. (laughs) This is uh, article RT. Israel arrests pro-Palestinian activists... Bans dozens from entry, published 16 April 2012. Really? 16 April, huh? Apparently where it's published, it's already tomorrow. Israel has refused entry to dozens of activists who arrived in Tel Aviv as part of an international campaign dubbed Welcome to Palestine. Nine Israel activists have also been arrested. The international activists, intending to take part in a solidarity event with Palestinians in the West Bank, were detained as they landed in the country's main airport on Sunday. As many as 49 were stopped in the airport, the Interior Ministry reported on Sunday evening. Most of flew from France, but others came from Spain, Switzerland, Canada, Italy, and Portugal. About a dozen were sent back home, with several more possibly to follow after arrangements have been made. Israeli police accused the activists of posing a security threat. Right. Intending to disrupt public order, and attempts to delegitimize Israel. Well, let's just say, if you are legitimate, why do you fear someone trying to delegitimize you? If you're really standing on high ground, what do you care if people are in the creek shouting at you? Unless, of course, you're not on high ground and never were, and the only reason why you get away with shit like this is because you have the big, dumb ape of America standing behind you, and no one is willing to overtly go against that. Uh, what am I talking about again? But organizers say they had planned peaceful activities and had criticize Israel for overreacting. Around 1,200 Palestinian rights activists worldwide have bought tickets to travel to Israel on April 15th. They plan to take part in a number of peaceful events as part of the Welcome to Palestine campaign. Among them were holding peaceful demonstrations in the West Bank, meeting the Palestinian families and planting trees. It's not Arbor Day, is it? (laughs) The events were set to include the opening of an international school international uh, and a museum. Activists added that they planned to highlight the way the Israel authorities and police deal with foreign activists who held uh, political views not shared by the country's government. RT's correspondent Paul reports. Really? Like, I don't know sending them back home? <laughs> um... There is no better way to prove that you are a fearful country than immediately sending back those who aren't even speaking out against you, but just the idea of peace. And that scares you. Like, the idea of being friendly with the group that you have declared the bad guy, even though you were the one that were sort of transported into their land. Um... ...that that you can't even have them around. Kind of makes you look like a jackass, Israel. Now, I'm not against the Israeli people. I'm not for or against the Palestinians. But I do like to see things through a very human lens. And let's just say, if someone... I don't care their ethnicity or ancestral background... uh, ...was put by the government in my property, on my house, and I was kicked into the backyard. And then that family continually kept building, I don't know, let's call homesteads or or uh, mother-in-law homes in the space that was allotted to me, claiming divine right the entire time, and killing my family. Well, I might be a little upset, especially if this person that was put in my house... Better fucking know better, because they had to suffer under someone like Hitler. I mean, it's infuriating, the idea that the Israelis don't see the absurdity of what they're doing. Now, I know, this is one of those things that I'm going to call back to, and pride, counterproductive pride, but that's what they are right now. It was funny, uh, this Saturday I was watching a Thundercats episode, cartoon, the sort of reimagining of it on Cartoon Network with my son and daughter, and it's kind of funny, the episode was centered around this idea of tiger pride, I'm not going to get into the whole Thundercats thing, but um, it's just one of those recurring human themes That only uh, self-actualized human beings can get past. Or at least those who are willing to become self-actualized. You can very easily ignore what it means to be a grown-up. An adult. And just focus on your butt being hurt. Rather than taking a step back. Looking at the big picture. Let's say the third perspective. And seeing how wrong you are. In so many ways. And finding the the benefit for not only your people, but the other people you're affecting as well. And let's just say if the Israelis and Palestinians ever came to any terms of, I don't know, the ability to coexist at all, well, if they could do that, a lot of the other uh, upset nations, the... uh, Iran's of the world, will say, they're kind of playing off of that. If they don't have that fuel, suddenly their fire goes out. I mean, if there's so much to gain and so little to lose, stop being a spoiled brat, Israel. Grow the hell up. And do what I tell my kids when they start fighting. Be the bigger person. If my kids can do it. I would like to think you can, too. I don't think you will, though. All right, so uh, they plan to take part in a number of peaceful events. Uh, Earlier, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office issued a letter advising the activists to focus on the real problems of the region. Quote, You could have chosen to protest the Syria regime's daily savagery against its own people, which has claimed thousands of lives, the letter reads. You could have chosen to protest the Iranian regime's brutal crackdown on dissent and support of terrorism throughout the world. But instead, you chose to protest against Israel, the Middle East's sole democracy. We therefore suggest that you first solve the real problems of the region, and then come back and share with us your experience. Have a nice flight. What? A dick. That was my edition. The heavy-handed response from the country's authorities and police is not new, as during the Land Day commemorations, one person was killed and several more Palestinian activists injured. Back in May 2010, Israeli naval commandos clashed with activists on board a flotilla trying to break Israel's blockade to the Gaza Strip. Nine international activists were killed in the attack. It's funny, because he's talking about these... Uh, Third world countries and their uh, weak hold on their people. All the while pushing out their own people who are protesting them. Showing that they have a weak hold on their own people. Uh, And you may be a democracy, but you are very much far from a first world nation. And it's because of behaviors like this. Damn, man, my phone is going crazy with my speaker. Sorry about that. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, dive right into Jack Donovan and The Way of Men.
2: Oh, God! No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature
0: Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by author Jack Donovan to talk about his newest book, The Way of Men. Uh, Jack, thank you for joining me. How are you tonight? I'm alright. Fantastic. So I, I read your book, and I really enjoyed it. There was uh, some ideas introduced early on that really struck a chord with me, and the idea, really, it's almost like we were raised in this environment where we're told what it is to be a man, even though at our core we feel like there's... There's something missing or there's something more than we're being told. And I think your book does a pretty damn good job of <laughs> really laying it out uh, in, in uh, pretty clear terms what it is we're missing. Uh, so let's maybe start from the very beginning here, if we can. All right. Uh, for you, what was the catalyst uh, for writing The Way of Men?
1: Uh, well, it was real desire to answer the question, what is masculinity better then i'd seen it answered elsewhere uh it's 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 a question that if you ask a lot of people uh, you'll get a lot of bullshit answers <laughs> yeah uh you'll get a lot of answers about what they want masculinity to be and the thing is it, they're very hypocritical answers because you have people they'll put on their good guy face and say uh, masculinity should be about not hitting women or it should be about uh, being uh, charitable, or it should be about being, um, you know, just. And you know, then the, you know, the top guy movies are like The Godfather, and and uh, <laughs> other uh, other movies that are, you know, they they try and wrap it up in a moral, you know, some of them. But uh, guys really, you know, seem to gravitate towards something that isn't necessarily always what they what they say Mm -hmm. Uh, what they say that they want masculinity to be there's something else there and that's what i was trying to get at something universal that wasn't uh what my culture thinks about masculinity or someone else's culture thinks about masculinity but what do men all over the world have in common
0: yeah those universal truths when you're tackling a project like this um, Mm -hmm. where do you start i mean you have a lot of references you have to have really immersed yourself in the subject um Did you really rely on on your studies or were you sort of falling back to your own instincts as a man? I mean how did you tackle this?
1: Well, masculinity is my thing. That's that's what I write about. That's what I think about all the time. That's kind of become my subject area. Uh, And so whenever I'm reading an article on the internet or anywhere, that's kind of what's going through the back of my head. How does this fit into the picture? And it's also what happens when I talk to other men. Uh, you know whether they be uh, someone who I know really well and spend a lot of time with, or just someone I'm talking to generally, and uh, yeah, just for a brief encounter, you can kind of observe a lot about how men react to things and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so it's you know it's a little bit of firsthand experience. But I also uh, one of the, the criticisms of some of my other writing has been you know uh, people c- kind of assume that I didn't know their side of the story. Uh, that's kind of a, a Pretty frequent liberal tendencies for a lot of people. That the, well, if you just had enough education, then you'd understand <laughs> our position. And uh, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to deal with that, and uh, I wanted to make sure I understood what other people's arguments were. And so that was really the hardest part of the book, as far as I wouldn't say hardest, because uh, sometimes it was actually fun. Uh, once I once I discovered what you could use Kindle for, uh, and that I could type my notes uh, kind of as I was reading. Uh, it, that added a whole another dimension of reading to me. So you know, you can actually sit in some of these books and go through them and just argue with the author the entire time. <laughs> so I mean, I actually had a lot of fun doing that with the, with a few of the books that, that I read for research. And what happened though is is because I wanted to engage other people's arguments, uh, I ended up my end product the first time around was a little dry and it was a little academic. And uh, I kind of – what I did was I released uh, about 30 pages of what I would had in the first draft uh, as a a short book called uh, No Man's Land. And in that book is where I kind of deal with uh, a lot of the feminist arguments, a lot of the uh, men's movement arguments uh, about masculinity and what it is and what it should be. And uh, that's where I kind of take those apart and deal with them. But uh, they were a distraction that was sitting kind of in the middle of the book. And so I pulled them out and I was like, well, let's just make this book about one thing. And uh, what that was is kind of the thesis that I arrived at through my research that I didn't really start with was that the way of men is the way of the gang. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually leads right into (laughs) and answers my next question. uh, Straightforward. Uh, What is the way of man? Um, And really, you take us through uh, a, a journey of discovery of, of, of manhood or, or manliness throughout this entire book, and you don't reveal until the very end um, that it's really um, the way of the gang. If we could maybe talk about the, the way that you lead us there, um, I don't want to you know, spoil too much for anyone, because I do think this is, a, a must read for every man, and if any women want to understand what it means to be a man, they should definitely pick it up too. But, um, I mean, you really break it down historically, uh, you break it down through legend, uh, and, and, I think that's one of the most, uh, a- appealing parts of this book, is because you don't just, you don't just stand up uh, on a soapbox and make an argument, um you really sort of delve into uh our, our shared histories so i mentioned earlier um the tactical virtues is there any way you could maybe um you know do a little uh walkthrough of those quickly
1: well yeah R- rather than uh, a lot of what i what i wrote about it came from evolutionary biology and things like that but uh, I didn't want to base my argument on whatever the current science is because that it's a little bit like fashion mm-hmm. uh you know what, uh The New York Times will come out with an article tomorrow that says this that contradicts that and it's a it's a kind of a big game and uh so you know, I wanted to think you know what you know if the thing about prehistory is it's kind of a logic problem, mm-hmm. we don't really know exactly how things went down. So you kind of have to put yourself in this uh, kind of virtual reality scenario and think, okay, well, you know, it, and uh, you know, where what would I do with, if if uh, I was threatened all the time, and how would I behave, and what choices would I make? And what I did, what was really actually instructive, a, a buddy of mine before the series came out actually passed me uh, a copy of uh, the Walking Dead comic book. Yeah. And, you know, that's so, uh, that kind of stuff is so trendy right now. And and I think the reason why is because, you know, people have this secret fantasy about going back to this primal existence. And uh, they really want to uh, ha- be in a situation where everything matters. I think the tagline for that book was something like, only when, you know, everyone around us is dead that we get to start living, or something like that, something catchy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so. I, I thought that was also interesting as well because it doesn't – you don't really have to talk about human prehistory. You can also talk about what would happen right now mm-hmm. and that's where I got the tactical virtues from um, and you know, they're easily observable. This is how men look at each other and kind of evaluate each other on kind of a basic level. When you're talking about manliness, you're really talking about if push came to shove, where does this guy stand in the hierarchy? And uh, that's, I think, a really important thing that, that men have to deal with. I think all the time, they they have an eye to that constantly. Whereas I think women are just a little more protected, uh, just because they they don't expect they don't expect that someone's going to punch them in the face if they <laughs> if they get mad enough. Whereas yeah. you know you do that you do that math all the time. I think as a man, and like, am I going to yell at this guy? Yeah. Because no, this guy looks terrible. <laughs> you know this guy could kill me yeah. uh, and i think I think men make that calculation all the time um, I mean women do too to a certain degree, uh, but I think that they're used to there being a man behind them that's going to come save them mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, and they can get really women are used to being able to get really, really really mouthy with somebody and expect that you know if he were to happen to hit her, you know ten guys will jump out and stop him. Yeah, culturally,
0: absolutely. Let me ask you: do Do you think that, do you think that that is an evolutionary trait of woman, or do you think that that's an enabling trait of man?
1: Both. I, I like to say that the, uh, when you're talking about nature or nurture arguments, the best answer is always both.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> people get really heated on either side, and usually they're both a little bit wrong, and they're usually <laughs> both a little bit right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that. Men are probably wired to be a little bit more aggressive and they're a little bit – probably a little bit more wired to think of things tactically, which would make sense because that's always been their role. They're, there's no reason why they wouldn't be selected for that over time, whereas women have always been in a position where there's a certain part of women's lives. Uh, you mean men, they get sick or they get old or when they're children, they're vulnerable. But a grown man who's healthy really needs to be able to fend for himself all the time and has probably always been expected to whereas you know women you know you know in uh before birth control you know when you're pregnant you know f- frequently i mean there's a lot of downtime there uh yeah. where women are have to depend they're they're very comfortable with relying on others because they've they've always had to um so i mean as you know as as independent as women can be yeah that is all you know that's i think part of their nature to a certain extent
0: i think uh yeah i i I think that's absolutely correct. I I always compare this sort of discussion with um, marriage, and I always laugh whenever anyone brings up marriage, because, you know, the historical reference of marriage is, you know, you have children, so you have a man or a young boy to help you tend the field to work. And then you sell your women to other men so you can make some money and then also uh you know help out other men uh, to to do this and it sounds really chauvinistic in our modern society that we have sort of evolved in, but you know the reality is, is that that's how it was back then and in some parts of the world that's how it still is
1: yeah well, and even I mean that's actually kind of an advanced civilizational you know structure right there even i mean if you if you look at if you think about more prehistory uh, a lot of warfare. Is actually in, in uh, the most primitive tribes uh, a huge amount of warfare is also uh, caused from wife stealing because yeah. uh, that's that's you know before you even talk about trading up and and doing all that kind of stuff you know uh, men want to have sex okay you go steal a wife <laughs> from from the other <laughs> tribe uh, you know and uh, that's yeah you know and then then the other tribe you go to the war with the other tribe and you know it's it, it, people. Uh, one thing that's interesting, it's, uh, there are all these people talking about, you know, a game and uh, and uh, evolutionary biology and, and how uh, the whole selfish gene and mating structure and everything follow into everything and, and uh, I think they confuse proximate and ultimate causes a lot. Uh, you know, people tend to think that the, everything men do is to impress women so that they can mate with them mm-hmm. and uh, one of the... You know, key ideas in this book is I think that m- a lot of things that men do have more to do with impressing other men, because uh, that's where the real you know that's if you're in a survival group and uh, you know the, the lead guy is not a woman, yeah. you know you have a lot of impressing men to do, and men are harder, harsher judges uh, generally. You know, women decide if they like you or not, and if they think you're a viable mate based on whatever criteria uh, is available at the time, but Uh, men you know they they expect you to carry your weight and so i think a lot of how men have evolved has to do with what they've had to do to impress other men and i think that's where we get our ideas about manliness and that's that's kind of what it comes back to is the way the men is the way the gang it's like finding your position in that hierarchy is a lot of what manhood is really
0: about yeah i had um I used to have these, and still at times do, have these reoccurring dreams of... It's either a scenario of uh, an alien invasion that crashes civilization, or it's just uh, mankind or natural disaster that causes the crash of civilization. But it's sort of this thrill of surviving in a a world that relies solely on your ingenuity and your ability to adapt Um I ended up joining the military for five years, and to a lesser degree, I think I touched on on some of these concepts that you talk about in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know that gang mentality, and and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's something that I would never trade up. And I feel like I I'm actually more of a man for having experienced it. Mm-hmm. And then I go through my regular days, uh, and I see other. Mm-hmm guys that have never or would never consider doing anything like that, and all they're really concerned about is having some tight pants or, you know, listening to a new song, and I just want to, like, scream at them, like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, I think this book really awakens a lot of these notions uh, that are really, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but subdued by our, our, you know, current world. It's really, really sad when you, like, look at it.
1: absolutely well that's what it, it, it's it's really disturbing what the the future is and i you know i get into that a little bit more towards the end of the book is is <laughs> is, is is it's the direction it's going there's nothing to stop it uh, i mean i mean you're talking about the guys who do nothing but basically titter around uh and you know deal with their little hobbies and their little you know uh, distractions and and gossip and Fuck around on Facebook and all that shit, and and you know those. That's that's the future. I mean, that's what keeps us compliant. Uh, that that's what ke- kind of keeps us from having a vital existence. Is is we really need to be controlled for this world to work, mm-hmm. and uh, we need to have our little petty distractions for this future that they've uh, planned for us to work because. Uh, you know it's men has to be have to be passive uh, because they threaten the interests of people with wealth
2: yeah
1: and uh so you know you have to and and that's sad though cuz what i always say is when people talk about uh, reimagining masculinity and uh, a new kind of man and whatever and I, I, what they're offering men is so much less than what we had mm-hmm. uh so it's really a trade down for men it's a trade it's been a trade up for women in terms of what women have always wanted which is you know, security and nice stuff. And, uh, you know, they're getting, you know, awesome shopping malls and, and uh, <laughs> you know, they have awesome shopping malls. They can, they can ha- have great nights out with their girlfriends, drinking cocktails. I mean, it's like the sex in the city world is kind of like the ultimate female dream. But, you know, then, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, men, uh, that world is less appealing and, and it feels a little bit hollow.
0: Yeah, uh, in the book you you parallel it to the uh, bonobo monkey, and you term it uh, the bonobo. I might if Steven saying that right, uh, masturbation society. Uh, very yes. funny, uh, but poignant. I mean, it, it really, after uh, reading it, uh, I was really impressed. Okay, so when do you say, or when would you say that the way of men was lost or forgotten?
1: Um, i don 't think i mean it's it hasn 't been forgotten in africa yeah. <laughs> you know it's it hasn 't been forgotten in the Middle east uh, you know the way of men it has to do with the civilizing process it 's not forgotten so much as uh, we 're instructed out of it uh, we you know we 're trained from you know I, I watch my sisters you know train their kids because you know they 're good parents. And so they train them to say please and thank you and to do all the you know. To uh, I, I was shocked. at uh, Two little boys running around the house singing clean up, clean up, clean. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm like,
2: damn, she does a
1: good job. You know, they're so civilized. But uh, you know, but that you know that takes training. That takes a mom standing over to them and saying no. You know that you're going to do this now. Yeah. And 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 uh, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to make that happen. And because without without that process you know and this is where you know the nurture comes in uh, without that process you know we you know are still very much animals and uh, you know we'll still you know if you get a pack of men together they still go through the same you know hierarchy process and whatever it just depends what's at stake and you know the world provides us with so much now and as kind of I compared it to the bonobos who According to the book that I read, you know, have always existed kind of in a state of plenty. And they didn't have a lot of predators and and they've always had their staple food, so they didn't have to do a lot of hunting or fighting. And uh so that's why they, you know, just hang out and mate all the time because that's kind of all they have to do and that's kind of all modern men have to do. Uh you know, like yeah. Let 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 me go out and get laid at three thousand times because, or you know, watch porn until I die, or play video games because that's you know that there's not that much else for them to do that actually matters.
0: Do you think at some part uh, the way of men sort of dooms itself? I, and what I'm referring to specifically is the, the portion of the book when you're when you're talking about the founding of Rome uh, yes. and uh, comparing it to. Uh, the sort of uh, gang culture of mankind, and and when you're in a when you're in a, a small gang, what you desire, and that's that's women and and position and wealth, and to form some semblance of order so that you can maintain this hierarchy that you you've sort of built up when more people become a part of your group. And that is really the foundation of society. So when we collect more women and we, we reach out and, and start structuring this group more and more, we build that society that cuts off the balls of the group that we initially started with. Yep. <laughs> so sort of the way of men is, is this doomed cycle of uh, a, a primal expression into s- cultured civilization, and the stifling of that primal <laughs> obsession.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a Spenglerian cycle. It, it really is. Yeah, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, and I think that's the way it is. I mean, the the human imagination has a problem with the idea of forever. Hmm. Um, you know, the forever is not something we understand. It's not something we'll ever experience. Uh, so forever you know can a society we talk about sustainability Mm -hmm. and things like that and uh, is is any society sustainable over a long period of time I I don't really think so I mean uh, I mean I think that's you know it was uh, we've touched on it a little bit is I think that people uh, kind of yearn for a return uh, to something primal and to for for a chance to rebuild it again yeah Uh, And that's kind of what we do. We do it. We do it over and over again. And and uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the things, as you said, that uh, make men create civilization. Once they're too successful, um, it kind of ruins it for all their sons. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and that's what I mean. That's why for so long we had you know, you know, immigrate, you know, like. uh, exploring and things like that it's like okay there's not there's really nothing for you to do here in this village go out <laughs> you yeah. know like men would be like okay I, I mean that's why people came to america i mean it's part of it i mean they they didn't really have great opportunities in europe there's like oh there's all this empty land i can do yeah. whatever the hell i want frontier uh, yeah i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna start civilization again i'm gonna start deadwood uh which is the best series that's ever been made but Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah I mean uh, and and that's that it's a great example of of what happens I mean here's this little town and it's basically run by men who are ruthless but also fair <laughs> you know you know they, they're, they're, I mean it, these ruthless guys who who do what has to be done because you know there are there are engines and <laughs> there are people who want to screw them over and there are people out there uh, who can create real problems so um, you know that, but that that's a really good show of of uh, you know people creating a society from scratch, and I think that that the new Walking Dead is as well. Yeah, I
0: absolutely agree. Um, you, you you speak specifically in this to uh, the group structure um, of, of men, and uh, you know a, a man not only finds his role in the hierarchy of the men around him, but also because of the roles that they play. So do you think that... Breaking it down individually, the way of men is really dependent on the group or the structure or the role that the individual man uh, has in the larger group? Uh, you know, maybe... Meaning specifically, um, the uh, the hunter-gatherer is going to have a, a vastly different idea of what it means to be a man, maybe as the overall leader who sends the hunter gatherer out. Well, yeah, that's kind of like the masculinity's
1: theory of manhood, uh, you know, that, that, that it changed culturally, you know, over time. Um, or you know whatever the needs of the society are. Uh, I think in the book I talked about Brett McKay, and he kind of sent me a description of manhood that sounded like a job, and like whatever the, whatever your job is in that society. Well, I mean it's valid, you know whatever your job is in society, that's what manhood is. But you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about in the book is that there's something far more universal that we still feel the need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's still in us, whether whether our job is to be an accountant and to provide excellent customer service. Or to you know slaughter animals it's it's still you know, there there there's a primal element there that doesn't go away just because uh I mean it does get it just does get bred out a little bit. There is a little bit of dysgenic um, you know, activity going on I mean you can see kind of uh more violent uh, alpha type males getting selected out um, mm-hmm. because of birth control right now um, I think that's happened a lot. To a certain degree is that uh you know you have these guys who the guys who can go around and and uh, kind of command whoever they want I always use my friend, buddy as an example uh you know he he has sex with he has sex with strippers <laughs> you oh, know nice. he has, <laughs> and uh you know and he uses a condom and you know the he will probably never breed and whereas you know a nice you know your are a nice Mormon accountant is is having six kids? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so you know, you know, it's like this guy, you know, who who you know can fight a lot, you know can fight really well, has all the kind of mechanical abilities that you have to have to do that, has has the kind of tactical thinking that those guys have. He'll probably never breed, and you know if you know if he manages to stay out of prison, yeah. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, <laughs> it's like they'll go to prison or they'll get you know they're, they're gonna. You die young, go to prison, whatever, because our society really has no use for them. Even even the military, as you know, I'm sure you know, uh, the, the amount of people who actually fight in the military is, is extremely small. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a huge support network, and then you have this like you know whatever 0.5 percent of the guys who actually actually get shot at. And uh, you know, my friend who's over in Afghanistan right now is you know he's like even that's frustrating because it's me standing in a room calling in a hit. He's like he's like I feel like I'm uh, working a
2: Rico warrant. Yeah, so you know? detached.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like calling the drones. <laughs> you know, Ooh, I feel, I feel exhilarated. He's like I'd rather be in a bar fight. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know? I
0: wonder if uh, I wonder if there's been been any study, and maybe you would know, of uh, PTSD or shell shock, of, uh, you know, men that suffer from this, and their return to their most primal of, of, of instincts—you uh, know, that fight or flight—and uh, the comparison of that to the way of man, uh, as you outline it in this book. I mean, is that sort of—you uh, know—it's—it's it's like a sudden deconstruction of everything that they've ever been taught and learned about civilized and uh, you know reality, civilized society and reality. Uh, suddenly, they're thrown into this insane, chaotic uh, place, and they just. Deconstruct at you know they made this primal level, and suddenly it's right back to where they should have been all along.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and I think that that's probably true. And uh, you know, there's this great book that I like to refer to. Uh, um, it's called War uh, by uh, Sebastian Junger, and uh, or however you pronounce his last name, and it's 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 pretty fantastic i think in the sense that it's not a, a judgmental book as most of those books try to be yeah. it's it's him actually living with guys who are in the shit and seeing how they interact and there's a fantastic quote from it It says like you know if, if you're a 19 year old on the, on the business end of a, a, a 50 caliber in a firefight and you win he's like that's 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 your whole life multiplied times a number that you know and no one can imagine it, it, it that's <laughs> that's that's the most awesome moment that you will ever experience in your entire life so everything is pretty much downhill from there and so that, i mean he said he 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 mentioned that you know from some of his uh soldiers uh that he dealt with when they came back and some of the troubles that they had uh had to do with the kind of this missing that experience and uh Kind of this kind of emptiness and like no sense of a future because everything was going to be boring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and people didn't really understand what they went through and thought they were horrible and, and all that stuff. And they don't really have, I mean, our society doesn't really have a, a really big support structure for, you know, and therapists don't count because, <laughs> you know, but we don't really have a, a, a big support structure for, uh, you know, for men who come back from battle. You know, cause, because we're not really invested in any of our wars. It's
2: very true. Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, you can't. It's not like we're facing this existential threat, and uh, you know, they're going out to save us. Because if that was the case, everybody'd be rallied behind them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we send them over to you know take care of our investments, and so everybody's kind of you know very conflicted about their role in society and just kind of wishes they would go away, but doesn't know, you know, and so, you yeah. know, if you're, guy, if you're a guy and you've been through that, and then you come back to that kind of attitude, you know, you're going to have some problems there too. Wow.
0: Well, so with, uh, we spoke earlier about um, really breeding out, mm-hmm. you know, the base of it all, breeding out the the real men that would be able to call back to what it means to be a man, um, do you think it's possible? I mean, at at the end of The Way of Men, you speak to how we can um, return... Burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Burn it
1: to the ground.
0: Start <laughs> yeah. over. But do that's- you think that's even possible? I have no idea. That's- even at the most minutest of level nowadays, or maybe in 20 years or 50 years? I mean, it seems like the reality is, at some point... You know, this society we've built is going to end or it's just going to become corporatized completely. I mean, now it's just sort of hidden. And and when that happens, I think there's going to be a big deconstruction of society. I would hope that there is. But do you think that there's even going to be enough men around that understand what it means to be able to exist in a world like that?
1: I I I think it'll snap back. Um, I mean, to a certain. I mean, I th- I don't think that uh, you know if you'd have to have a few more generations to really breed that yeah. out. I mean, I, th- I still think there are plenty of guys who could snap back into that role. I mean, it would be hard uh, because they really, re- they really don't have the background. Mm-hmm. But even if uh, you know, I did did a lot of deliveries in the country, and and you know, I, those guys, <laughs> guys who live out in the country, and and you know, they're they're out there shooting guns you know playing around you know doing kind of uh you know that song country boy will survive yeah. they're they you know they've they've uh you know they're still doing the role out there you know i mean they you know, sure they have the internet and they go to the mall but <laughs> there there's still a lot of guys who have a lot of practical know-how and are you know kind of fantasizing about that time coming soon as sooner than later yeah. Uh, whether it comes or not, you know whether it's a big deal or not. I don't know. That's that's predicting the future is, is, is so hard. I I haven't Absolutely. been able, to, I haven't felt like I've been able to see, like really even plan more than five years in the future, even that long. Like for mm-hmm. a long time. I mean, for for the past five years, I would say it just seems like everything's kind of spinning, and you know who knows. Uh, you know, it could, we could all. There's so many bad. There's so many good things. <laughs> there's so many bad, good things that could happen. <laughs> you know, and you and, and you know, it's it's what everybody watches on the Discovery Channel and the History Channel. It's basically all disaster born now. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, there's so many things that could happen. It's just a matter of what. And you know, the most boring prediction is that you know, as you said, it'll be just things will become more and more nakedly corporate naked mm-hmm. uh, could like, yeah, corporate is confusing but uh, just globalist uh yeah, yeah. You know, all our all our president all our presidential candidates are globalists and and uh pretty much anyone in power is because you know it facilitates their wealth and uh you know it facilitates i mean they 're winning so why would they want to change things uh so you know i 've often said you know take it 'll take a lot more hardship uh it could take it, or it could just be a situation where people just stop. They're completely not invested in their government anymore, and I, I think that that's happening. Uh, I, I really think that you have to be pretty naive to be, you know, cheering for any particular team at this point. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, I think most people now—they're obviously they're not the most vocal people; they're not the chattering class. But uh, you know, the average guy that you talk to in the street—you know, yeah—they're going to tell you those guys are a bunch of liars, all of them. you know and and people were i mean you can see it in the voting numbers i mean men have really pulled out of of, of voting i mean there's and i mentioned it a little bit uh in the book uh there's when i think about my grandparents generation and how invested they were and how they felt like america was us and we were america and you know you're you were committed to that government you believed it was right and good and uh and I don't see any of that with people that are my age and younger. Uh, I, I really don't. I mean, there, there's a little bit of that. I mean, people like to to cheer rah rah America, but they also go home and cheat on their taxes. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Not, you know, I mean that people are not invested in that system, and I think it's because it's too big. You know, it, it's beyond it's beyond human scale. It's so far beyond human scale. How can yeah, everybody knows their opinion doesn't matter when it's you're talking about you know hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, I mean you know you're. I mean it's like that's why it's like uh, if you can go back to civilizations that are a little bit more you know human scale, uh, I think things would be a lot better. I'd like to see that.
0: Well, there's actually a passage in um, the book, and it's it's not very long. I I wonder if uh, you would be willing to read it, or if you'd allow me to read it uh, to the audience here. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and read it? Because I'd have to pull it up. Okay. In the future that globalists and feminists have imagined. For most of us, there will only be more clerkdom and masturbation. There will only be more apologizing, more submission, more asking for permission to be men. There will only be more examinations, more certifications, mandatory prerequisites, screening processes, background checks, personality tests, and politicized diagnosis. There will be only more meditation. There will be more presenting the secretary with a cup of your own warm urine. There'll be mandatory morning stretches and video safety presentations and sign off sheets for your file. There'll be more helmets and goggles and harnesses and bright orange vests with reflective tape. There can only be more counseling and sensitivity training. There'll be more administrative hoops to jump through and start your business and keep it running. There'll be more mandatory insurance policies. There'll be definitely more taxes. There'll probably be more Byzantine sexual harassment laws and corporate policies, and more ways for women and protected identity groups to accuse you of misconduct. There'll be more micromanaged living, pettier regulations, heavier fines, and harsher penalties. There'll be more ways to run afoul of the law, and more ways for society to maintain its pleasant illusions by sweeping you under the rug. In 2009, there were almost five times more men either on parole or serving prison terms in the United States than were actively serving in all of the armed forces. I think that is uh, a brilliant paragraph. Uh, it really speaks to the core of where we are and where we're going, and it makes me well up with tears. <laughs> <laughs> thank you,
1: thank you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I've done that stuff. I mean, that's that's not you know like uh, extrapolation. I've I've handed a cup of my own warm urine to a secretary before. I mean, yeah. that's that's the world we live in. How how degrading our lives are, you know? I mean. Uh, and uh you know we all we do this all for like you know safety and so that people you know people's investments can be protected and uh you know it's it's yeah it's absolutely infuriating and it it only gets worse with every year There are only you know only just constant regulation and uh you know and it's it is it's to protect pe- a small class of people with power and uh you know, and the rest of us are just supposed to smile and well, that's what you're going to have to do. And you know, every le- at every step, it takes away, I think, something that you know men value. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's really really unfortunate. And then you know, it's frustrating if you're you know, I, you know, I think if you're sitting in a nice office and you know, all you have to do is lie on a couple forms and <laughs> and uh, things like that. Because I've had office jobs and you can get away with a lot in yeah. the sense of in, in the sense of other things, but. You know, I think a lot of working class jobs. God, you, you know, it's just, you know, the jump, the the hoops that they make these guys jump through. You know, so many, so many steps just to, you know, have the simplest job. You know, and uh, you know, and it's so easy to lose it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. and and uh, you know, it's just going to get worse. So well, let's let's leave it on that bright note.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm here for a little ray of sunshine. That's what that's my I bring to the table. The book is The Way of Men, and uh, the author is Jack Donovan. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can people go to pick up this book? Well, it's going to be in paperback uh,
1: in about a month. I'm still laying it out, uh, but once that, that happens, uh, you'll be able to order it online and hopefully eventually in bookstores. I think some people will probably carry it. Yeah. And uh, Right now, it's available on Kindle. It's pending on Barnes & Noble, so I think it'll be available in a few days uh, for people who are who prefer the Nook platform. Uh, but I, I think most of my readers are online and pretty tech savvy at this point, so uh, I thought
0: about putting it out in Kindle first. So right now it's available on Kindle. It, I can attest, um, I picked it up on Kindle. It, it's an amazing book. Every man should buy this book. And you know, the upside, it's not very expensive. So uh, get out there and support an author that's doing something uh, for uh, the way of men, uh, it's an important piece. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic night. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right, folks. That is going to do it. I was going to do my uh, Bizarre of the Bizarre, but I'm going to have to wait. Uh, It's getting a little bit late, and I've had a hell of a day. So next week, I guarantee I'll do it. Um, So... That's going to be it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Net, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 Cents. And don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!